From the garden level of Harvard Medical School's historic Vanderbilt Hall in Boston, this is Think Research, a podcast that discusses the stories behind medical research. I'm Abby, your host. Think Research is brought to you by Harvard Catalyst, Harvard University's Clinical and Translational Science Center. In academia, investigators have many resources all around them. As translational research develops new technologies and therapeutics, there must also be a means of bringing these advancements out of the lab and into patients. Coming from academic institutions, it's often difficult for investigators to fulfill the potential of their innovation. At the Translational Accelerator of Brigham and Women's Hospital, Dr. Lena Williamson and her group provide the training and resources needed for investigators to bring their discoveries to commercialization faster and more effectively. Welcome to the show, Dr. Williamson. Thank you. You are the director of the Translational Accelerator at Brigham and Women's Hospital. What is the mission of the Translational Accelerator? The mission of the Accelerator is to provide uh, Brigham investigators with all the necessary tools and resources to translate their research from um, a preclinical prototype state stage into a first inpatient. And um, in addition, we also um, focus on entrepreneurship. So we coach and, uh, and help actually investigators with wrap-a-wrap services really tailored to the need of the investigator, depending how much investigator knows and how much experience they have in entrepreneurship. And then we also help putting together those companies. So we do both. Do all hospitals have an office like this? Not really. So these offices exist mostly on the technology license license offices, you know, for academic institutions. But hospitals actually have a big and unmet need for uh, doing more entrepreneurship. And academics in general have these unmet needs. So there are accelerators almost everywhere and there are incubators almost everywhere. What differs uh, from, uh, you know, from the other, other ones out there is that we are a clinical stage accelerator. So it's that what makes us different and that is unique for the Brigham. So you're saying you help people start businesses or go into business with other people or is it a little bit of both? Either, yeah. So okay. it depends on the on the technology, right? Or in the invention. So if the invention is gonna be something that um, we believe is worth creating a company, then we create a company. But if it's uh, a license, you know, mm-hmm. something that we can just sell to a strategic, like a big pharma or a medical device company, then mm-hmm. we just, uh, Partners Innovations does the uh, licensing agreement. Why does a hospital like Brigham and Women's need a translational accelerator or a TA? Yeah. So um, the Brigham itself, I mean, it can be different reasons. uh, One is um, this uh, entrepreneurship model basically supplements the need for return investment that can be, you know, outside of the government grants. So basically, if you can monetize your own innovation and then reintegrate the gains of that innovation into research, that becomes a parallel avenue for, for you know, putting money into research. Um, in addition, you know, the world now is a world of entrepreneurs. So uh, our physician scientists are not 
that entrepreneurial because it's not in the nature of their education, right? So um, we, you know, the hospital needs that push as well so that most of our inventions make it quickly or quicker to our patients. And also by doing clinical trials in-house, you know, through the, uh, through the process, that allows patients to get access to innovation faster than anybody else. And not only for patients with cancer, for example, that they need, you know, they have different options once they are diagnosed, but any other disease or patients, any other patient with a specific disease could have access to clinical trials without that being the last resource for their, for their cure. Um, who are the services of the TA open to and how do you recruit individuals to be in the TA or how do people join the TA? Mm-hmm. So the services of the TA are for everybody who wants to use the services of the TA. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have certain um, certain selection points So and, and most of it initially is based on the maturity of the technology. So, or of the invention. So, if it's uh, something that has that is previous to prototype or preclinical um, proof of concept, then we may not take it, and we may reroute it back to the research institute or to whatever uh, that you know is supporting whomever is supporting that technology. Uh, but if it's ready for for translation and we and it has a clear commercialization. Um, um, not path because we identify the path, but a potential, right? Commercialization mm-hmm. potential. Then, um, then we we consider it. But that's only one part. Mm-hmm. The second part is how passionate the investigator is about that, and that is where the personal, you know, part of it, the humane part of it, comes. Mm-hmm. And to me, is extremely important that the the innovation that is coming to our accelerator is one of the, you know, usually investigators have five or six different projects so Mm -hmm. it has to be the one that they are most passionate about because very often this is the one that they say you know i will put my own money on it i bet Mm -hmm. on it because i know this is going to be good for my patients so that passion is that we want to sort of grow Mm -hmm. um how do we get uh to fill our pipeline um we have different avenues Okay. So uh, we work very closely with the Brigham Research Institute and also with Partners Innovations. So um, the Brigham Research Institute does um, give a lot of grants to to investigators inside the Brigham, and the larger grants are usually for uh, innovation that has been already evaluated or pre-evaluated by the Scientific Advisory Board. Mm-hmm. So that kind of um, give us already, a, a, you know, a varying that that the technology is is good mm-hmm. from for commercial from commercial potential, so very often those winners of uh, hundred thousand or five hundred thousand dollars come with the access to the accelerator, um, or the the uh, prize comes with access to the accelerator. <laughs> then uh, partners innovations, the licensing managers very often say, hey, we have these IP from these uh, intellectual property from these uh, certain investigators, so they reroute the investigators to us. Same with the Innovation Hub. We work very closely with the Innovation Hub, Innovation Hub at the Brigham, and they also reroute a lot of things to us. So they, those groups work like scouts for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we work together, but mm-hmm. that's how the technology progresses. And, uh, and word of mouth. So very often investigators just have good experiences working with us, so they send us others. That's it. But we don't advertise it or anything mm-hmm. else. We are a very small group. Okay. 
Um, you spent several years in industry before coming to the Brigham. Could you describe your career path and what brought you to this point? Okay. So um, my career path is I am initially a veterinarian, so I studied veterinary medicine, and then I, I jumped into human medicine, and I went into, did a PhD in molecular and cellular dermatopathology. So I specialized in dermatology diseases, and then I, in for after my PhD, I went into Novartis, and, and I spent 10 years of my career in Novartis. The first half, um, the first five years was doing research in dermatology, and I did research for animal health, and then I got transferred to Boston to do also um, collaborate with human health. Um, and then uh, my second part of uh, or the second five years mm -hmm. at Novartis were in business development and strategic alliances. So I was initially looking for compounds that can be used from human health into animal health and vice versa. And then um, I was given the task to it was I was in an international assignment. Mm -hmm. So given the task to really design the outreach strategy for Novartis Institutes for Biomedical Research and collaborations with academia. So that's when I started to sort of get to know academia from the buyer side. Mm -hmm. So for that, I travel literally over the world and I work with the top 20 academic institutions globally to really look at what is their innovation and what was disruptive and also what can be easier, trans easily translatable, and then bring it inside Novartis. Mm. By doing that, I, I started to develop a passion for biomedical engineering. Mm. So, um, and uh, I met um, Don Imber, who is the director mm. of the VIS Institute, and uh, then we done, uh, we had a very good relationship, and then I jumped into the opportunity to help spin out their first startup company in organs and chips technology. And then I was part of the invention, the inventors of this, you know, on chip as well. So after that, then, uh, <laughs> then um, uh, Leslie Solomon, who was the director of the, the executive director of the IHOP, mm -hmm. she invited me to join the Brigham. So, and I joined the, the research institute under Jackie Slavich. And I started helping with uh, strategy. And that's when I realized it was kind of a time that I wanted to be with my daughter. And mm -hmm. I was just like, you know, playing a little bit. So I came sometime. I had a part-time job. And then I started to look what is inside the hospital. Mm -hmm. And when I put everything together, you know, and when I decided, when I realized that all the needs of the global market could be, you know, for translation in terms of things that I was looking for, um, for Novartis, mm -hmm. were sometimes blocked to get in because they didn't have, um, they were not the risk in humans. So that's when I realized that if we are in a hospital where we have the patients, we have the physicians, you know, the principal investigators, and we have um, the technology, mm -hmm. we could do the de-risking of that technology in the hospital setting. Mm -hmm. So that's how the uh, accelerator was born, and that's how I ended up staying in mm -hmm. academia. What did you bring from your experience in industry to this role? So uh, a lot, I mm -hmm. would say. <laughs> 
So uh, obviously I have a different um, way of work. You know, we have in, in the industry, we have a sense of urgency that is different to, to that in academia. Also, the, uh, the, I think one of the contributions that I have done the most to the ecosystem in, in the Brigham is, or that I have given and offered, is um, the fact that we can think strategically from the design of uh, experiments from the get-go so that they can look also like a business plan, so that they can basically go to commercialization in a faster way. And I've done that with departments and with laboratories and really coaching investigators to become entrepreneurs. Mm. Um, in addition, I brought a unique model that was uh, of translation that, um, that was put together based on needs that I have observed, as I mentioned mm. previously. And that is also one of the biggest contributions that I brought to the Brigham. Mm. So, um, and the, in addition, I put together a very important group of uh, advisors that um, came to the Brigham, have been working with me for the last two and a half years. So this group of volunteers, they are all former presidents of Big Pharma, mm. or they have, you know, created... 30 companies in the past and they are they are they have expertise in different areas mm -hmm. um and there's a complementary group that is highly specialized and that was what brought also the level of entrepreneurship higher inside the brigham thanks mm -hmm. to that group that hands-on works with our investigators mm. how does the ta work with researchers i think you said wraparound services what are the services that are included in that how do you kind of walk them through the process of getting to commercialization. Yeah. So initially we meet with the investigator and we do an evaluation of their innovation and then we evaluate in what stage uh, the innovation is. So then depending on that, very often we need to do um, market and commercialization analysis. So I have somebody who does that and this uh, he's called data, analy data analyst. Then uh, a project manager is allocated immediately and we do milestone-driven project management. So really like uh, it is done at the industry or how it's done at Novartis, that's where I learned it. Um, then I have uh, somebody who does finance and, you know, more like operations, business management. Mm -hmm. um, and then I do all the strategy and uh, raising the funds and, and building the, the really the steps to identify the critical path and all these kind of um, steps that allow you to identify what, how to go faster. Um, and then the board uh, is also coming to coach and to identify the regulatory path. So we also have um, we work with consultants and with uh, partners innovations as well to work on the how best uh, is you know how to place the technology so that we can have a faster route mm -hmm. and according to the regulators. So um, and then somebody from Partners Innovations, the licensing managers will take care of um, IP management. So very often we spot new IP that can be developed. So then licensing managers help us to, you know, uh, write the provisional mm -hmm. and move it forward. Um, and then we also work with uh, very closely with compliance at the Brigham, where they help us also to, you know, really remain focused on the compliance because this is entrepreneurship. So it's, it, you know, and it's mm -hmm. new at the Brigham. So compliance has been key for us to 
to move it forward? And then the legal aspect, do they have confidentiality agreements? Do they have collaborations? So depending on what they have, so we do an analysis on all these parts mm -hmm. and depending what they have, what they do well or where they need more help, then uh, we provide those services and we create a team around the investigators. Mm -hmm. So the investigator focuses on the science and we focus on all the operations. Um, how has clinical research changed in the last 10 years? That is an interesting question mm -hmm. because uh, I, you know, clinical research is going towards precision medicine and precision clinical trials and it's been gradually going towards that direction. It's very mm -hmm. complicated um, methodology. I think the more the more we know and the more the omics are developed, you know, genomics, proteomics, metabolomics, now imaginomics, all the omics mm -hmm. that you can imagine, the more these omics are developed, the more clinical trials become, you know, more predictable probably. So now we are working towards how we can use, how we can make them really precision so that we can identify which, pa which patient, patients will respond to therapy prior to enroll them into into a clinical mm -hmm. trial. So that was more difficult to do 10 years ago. Now with the aid of technology and with the understand better understanding of disease and with new modalities coming, then clinical trials adapted as well to to the development of of those. So um, it has definitely evolved uh, and but they still there are still some things that we need to change or that we need to modify and we are working towards those. So some of those things, for example, is the integration of uh, women, for example, in uh, in phase one clinical trials. And that's something that we are working very closely with the Connor Center for Women Health. Um, and believe it or not, a lot of the um, uh, drugs that have been developed in pharma have been initially tested in, 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 men, in males only, even if it's a drug for women. So um, that is something that has to change. Um, uh, something else that has to change is really have clinical trials that are mixed with, you know, in a mixed population. So we can have, you know, not only white Caucasian people, but also Latinos, African-Americans, Asian descent, because our population is so diverse. So, um, and that, you know, each of us has, you know, different signatures as well that, that, will, allow, that will allow us to respond differently. Mm -hmm. And there are drugs in the market that has already shown that, that they respond better in women than in men or in certain, you know, races than others. So we need to take that into consideration and be better um, design of clinical trials to integrate better population, you know, a more diverse population. Mm -hmm. These are examples. What advice do you have for young investigators who are just starting out in clinical research? Yeah, um, I think to me that has been really important at um, all levels is the role of mentors. And um, young investigators, uh, instead of really trying to figure it out themselves, how is, you know, all the process of clinical research, they can, you know, they can either come to a program like ours, you know, where we can basically teach and coach and show all the steps or really team up with somebody who has done it before and has been successful at doing it. So, uh, and get a mentor and a coach like that, that, uh, that can help them to guide them and move them forward. So mm. definitely use mentors and not only use one, use as many mm. as you can from different angles so that they can help you to see things more broadly. Mm -hmm. Going back to um, 
your path to your position now. Is there anything in particular that made you switch from animal to human? I know that you said you were doing veterinary medicine and then you went into dermatology, but there was there anything intrinsically, personally yes. that made you make the move? Actually, yes. So um, I was a very young veterinarian when, when, I, when I went into the field. So I, I you know, entered to vet school when I was 15. So oh, I was wow. a vet when I was 20. And uh, that basically, it was very hard socially because if I, when I was doing my internship and I was seeing patients, very often the owners of the animals would be like, where is a doctor? You know, it's like you're, you're a kid. <laughs> so uh, that kind of pushed me to work more in the back of the clinic. So and then mm. I started to be more, more curious about the development of the disease. And that's how I went into research. Um, and then switching from human health to from animal health to human health was really because in veterinary medicine, there are little, very little resources to do cutting edge mm. research. Um, so I really went to, like, I realized in that time that uh, veterinary medicine was like 10 years behind. And we were always waiting to see how, what developments in human health will happen so that we can reapply them to animal health. It, that mm. has changed now, but uh, still is not, there is not a lot of resources. There are not a lot of resources to do that. Mm. So then I was like, okay, I want to move where the resources are mm. so that I can be more impactful. Um and then switch back from my PhD from human health back into animal health when I was at Novartis. And then I realized the same thing. You know, I, I saw that the compounds were more, you know, developing the human side. So that's when I flipped. So it was really mm. where the, you know, who was leading the technology development uh, that mm -hmm. drove me to be part of it. Has it been difficult for people to adopt the more entrepreneurial model? It's a cost, constant, constant fight because he's, is. It's, it's, it's driven a change and an uncomfortable change, right? Because academics have been doing that, the same, uh, following the same process to basically come up with papers to publish um, forever. So now I'm coming and say, we have to think differently. We have to think big picture. The patients need these faster. And the only way to do it is, is to start thinking commercial or entrepreneurship from the get-go. So constantly I have that every day. Um, when uh, every time I get uh, to meet a new leader, because I like to work with the best, you know, at, at this point I work with the with the top leaders so that they can be examples for those that are trickling down. As I grow my my model, then I can start working with the more junior ones. Uh, but at this point, it's all this top tier, and they very often, you know, you can see in their body, la body language, it's like, who, who you are, and what are you bringing here, and, you know, I know how to do my thing. And when I start telling them the story, then they soften, and then they get more receptive to, unperceptive to what I say. And uh, I have had a very, very big success right with with those investigators probably the ones that are more resistant are the ones that have already done companies in the past and really have been really successful so they don't really need help um mm -hmm. but there are others that realize that we bring different skill sets and that we can even if they know the process we can accelerate it because we give them hands so what i do mm -hmm. is i place it depending on on the need that's why it's tailored do I need to go more deeply into teaching them entrepreneurship and coaching them? Or do I need to go more into, okay, we are just extra hands to help. So, um, so yeah, I have those kind of pushbacks 
all the time. <laughs> it's just a matter of keep fighting and keep surviving the environment. <laughs> yeah. How many researchers does the TA take on at a time? So right now we have about 15 projects, but there we separate them in different buckets. Mm. So uh, we can do about two to three companies at a time. And the others are projects that we are, you know, either transitioning into the clinic or, you know, that don't require a lot of our time or that the clinic, we work with the Center for Clinical Investigations, who is led by Dr. Lindsay Baden, and he's like really my partner on mm -hmm. this. Um, so he has a large group. So if, if his group is, is, you know, is taking care of that, then uh, we give, you know, we don't need to dedicate so much time. And the third tier is uh, strategies that I do for departments or labs or, you know, so they usually require a couple of hours of brainstorming session and then some time uh, designing. So that's how we can have a large portfolio of projects. So different amount of services. But we have evaluated about, in so we launched in September 2016, and we have evaluated about 50 projects. Of those, we have rerouted about uh, 20. Then we have 15 in, in the pipeline, and we have five in waitlist. And so that's basically the matrix up to now. Um, you, you alluded a little mm -hmm. bit. You asked me about uh, is this, you know, how this is good for the hospital. And I mm -hmm. think what I would like to add is, um, this is this need is not unique for the Brigham. Mm. This need is absolutely a global issue. So uh, I've been um, talking with different, uh, you know, pharma companies, venture capital, academic institution, governments, globally, and they all have said that they need help with this stage. So they, with the with the clinical stage, and and they and they validate that we are so far the only ones doing it and doing it well. So um, I think it is part of the mission that, of the accelerator is to really expand and, and to make sure that this doesn't just work for investigators at the Brigham Women's Hospital, but that all that many physician investigators in particular, not only, you know, because we are in the Boston area, but this need is even bigger in in countries in way of development or is even bigger in even in europe you know europe is really good at developing intellectual property but they are not really good at doing entrepreneurship mm. so i mean some countries are like the uk but some others mm. are not like spain right so it's like the need is in the second on, on third tier or even lower of academic institutions even higher so i think as a top tier academic institution as well we we kind of have that that we we should expand our model and really offer it to the world mm. um so that's that's an important message um how they can contact uh the accelerator they can contact me <laughs> so uh it's uh lena.williamson at bwh.com dot harvard dot edu and uh, we have a website that is called bwhtranslation.org and um, but that that one is mostly for clinical trials so uh, but still we can get contacted through that as well but otherwise can contact me directly thank you for joining us dr williamson oh, of course it's been a pleasure to have this conversation with you thank you for inviting me Next time on Think Research. Essentially what we're doing is we're engineering platelets and creating a new therapeutic modality, which can be thought of as a new tool in a doctor's arsenal to fight cancer.
we hear from Dr. Jonathan Thon on how his company, Platelet Biogenesis, is looking towards the future of platelet engineering. Harvard Catalyst Think Research is supported by NCATS, the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences. Subscribe to Think Research on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about our podcast or suggest topics for future episodes, visit our website, www.catalyst.harvard.edu slash thinkresearch. research.